Your Game Over Easy listeners. We are here recording at DK Downer with an awesome episode coming to you. This is Drew Kelno. I got Tanner and Andy sitting to my right. And across the table from the three amigos is a crew of voices you've heard before. Three of our residents that are about to graduate become attendees. Three of our friends. Yeah. Our friends. Aww. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, friends. Aww. Three of our friends, current residents, soon to be graduating and moving on to awesome things that you've all heard from before in different capacities, but we're going to get a little insight into why they made a decision to do what they're doing next year, because all three are on a different track, and kind of their burning questions to help our listeners that are making some of the same decision in the future make a better decision and have a little insight into the process. So I have Caitlin, Jeff, and Jacob. Thanks for joining us again, guys, and welcome back on Emo Breezy. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So I'm... uh Jacob Smith moving down to Virginia for the next couple of years doing a surgical critical care fellowship. Really excited to get uh, started here in July. I'm Jeff. I'm going to be heading down to Phoenix, Arizona. I'm doing a primarily academic job. I'm Caitlin Bowers, and I'm going to be headed to a community job in South Carolina. Awesome. So really different direction all three of them are going. These are powerhouse emergency medicine providers already. They're going to go on to do great things. We want to get a little insight into why they decided to take the path they're taking. So Jacob, let's start with you. When you were making the decision, and I think you talked to a lot of us about what path you were going to take. You had, I don't want to say a hard time, but a lot of thought, a lot of effort went into making your decision about what direction you were going to go. What were your options on the table, and how did you ultimately end up on a critical care fellowship? So in emergency medicine, obviously, we become the masters of resuscitation. But a lot of times, I, in my mind, where that stopped was ending at resuscitation and not the ongoing critical care of the patient. And what I found myself falling in love with personally during residency was the ongoing resuscitation and critical care of the patient. Um, and pursuing a fellowship... Um, was what I felt to be the best way for me to be able to pursue that with my career. We could talk for hours on different pathways through critical care medicine, but there are various pathways out of emergency medicine to do critical care, such as critical care medicine, anesthesia critical care, and surgical critical care, all of which have their own special niches, uh, ultimately choosing surgical critical care for more uh, procedural-based critical care of the patient following their emergency department resuscitation. And real quick, as a EM-trained resident, how does surgical critical care work? Because I think that's kind of a foreign concept to a lot of us. You're not a surgeon, but you're going to go into a surgical critical care fellowship. So certainly there's got to be a surgical component to this. Yeah, I I don't allow myself to cross the red line on the ground. Um, that's usually a bad sign for me to go into the OR and cross that red line. So, and if I have to stand, I, that's for more that's than... why your your fellowship scares me. No, it's like it's it's field of dreams. I'm afraid if I cross the line, I'm no longer an EM provider, right? Yeah, yeah, like. I, I can't live in my fantasy world anymore. I have to come back to reality. You're going to be Benton from ER when it's all said and done. And I'm now uh, going to be crossing, cool. crossing tribes. So all critical care programs out of emergency medicine are two years. Each have their own specifics within that two years. Uh, surgical critical care ends up being the first year primarily is a advanced preliminary surgical intern type role where you're doing a lot of consultations and learning the basics of surgical management of the patient pre and post operative to be able to have better post operative critical care and peri trauma critical care of the patient. So definitely not a highly operative role, but there will be some surgical procedures that I do learn along the way. 
I just imagine standing longer than 45 minutes for a procedure is going to be boring, but I give you props for wanting to do, go into the surgical <laughs> realm. So, But I feel like it's going to be different because I think all of us have the memory of our surgical rotation where we sat for hours holding a retractor and Inter- felt like inter- <laughs> surgical skull work. I, right, exactly. Here we felt like we couldn't move. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'd have weird, sore, small little shoulder muscles from being in one area for hours. Your pinky would get like... Right. Strain, and you're like, how did my pinky have a strain in it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How did I get rhabdo from only using my <laughs> pinky for three hours straight? I don't understand. That's right. nice. <laughs> what we got? I am picturing something very strange. <laughs> <laughs> like a super muscular pinky. <laughs> The Popeye. rest of the hands atrophied in the pinky. Popeye finger. Just like, just a, I obviously have just finished a long night shift. Just a and, uh, shredded pinky. <laughs> I have zero competency right now. Bro, your pinky is cut up. <laughs> so, Jacob, what, what, what for you was it that made you lean towards the surgical versus the medicine and the anesthesia? Great question. And I think daily is it's sometimes a, it's a tough decision. Um, so, talking to n- numerous people who have gone through various pathways, uh, for me, this... Trauma is one of my passions, and the uh, operative, may not be the best word, but procedural side of critical care is definitely my passion. And this, uh, for me, gives a little bit more of a venue into the post-trauma care of the patient and even things such as uh, you know, Urboa and ECMO and um, things like that that aren't quite as well afforded through critical care medicine. And also, I'm not an internist. I don't like to personally sit and think about things for hours on end. Um, and so this gives a little bit more of a act and take care of the problem as it needs be rather than uh, think about it and then respond to results later on, similar to our typical approach in emergency medicine. That's awesome. I honestly didn't even think of critical care as having like kind of subsections of it, but kind of the way you're describing it, there is definitely going to be people who have preferences for various parts of critical care. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, kind of set yourself... Awesome. Up to be a procedural care or a critical care proceduralist, of really, sorts. which would be an awesome way to practice medicine. Awesome. I know who Wait. I'm going to be calling and texting about questions yeah. like X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, Caitlin, what made you choose community? Well, I looked at education and a big academic center versus community for a while, interviewed at both, and ultimately I felt like I needed to get more real life experience before I considered teaching and would I be ready to teach now? Probably, but I just felt like I would be a lot more confident and have more to offer if I had some real world experience. So ultimately I found a place that I thought I would fit in great and it'll give me an opportunity to spend more time with my family and look at some of the administrative side and the hospital admin side of medicine and see if that's more what I'm interested in or if I end up coming back to education later. I think it's the that's one of the funny things that happens during residency is where you're surrounded by academics and fellowships and we kind of forget a lot of times that community is the majority of practitioners out there. Mm-hmm. And most people aren't in a large academic center or even a community academic center. And so um, that's, that's pretty cool. Coming from the guy who also practices community medicine. No, I, I think it's a good point because, you know, Drew and I, we're both in academics, of course, but we both initially spent a lot of time, maybe me up to maybe a third of my time working in the community. So when I work with the residents, I can actually say, well, when I work at this other hospital and take care of patients without you here, this is what I do. So there definitely is that, like, if you just go straight to academics and you don't know anything else, 
you'll just know what your home institution does or what your academic institution does. So it is nice that you're going to broaden your horizons. Absolutely. It, it, there's a lot to be able to say from a teaching standpoint. When I manage this on my own, which I just did two days ago as opposed to which I did for the last time 10 years ago. Yeah. Not that academics don't manage patients on their own. No. Certainly they do. But community medicine, is that's that's where the money is. That's where the care is. And I don't mean money as in income. I mean, that's, I mean, that's where emergency medicine care is being provided for the vast majority of our patients. And without community emergency medicine docs, we have no foundation for emergency medicine. It can't all be academic tertiary care centers. Yeah. Um, that's that's not the reality. And I think there is a real dichotomy. Training gets you used to tertiary care, high-volume academic centers, and then you walk out in the community and realize that's not necessarily the reality. Um, and it's a completely different world, which no doubt Caitlin's going to do great at. So speaking of academic tertiary care <laughs> referral centers, Jeff. Hey. <laughs> You I'm gonna, <laughs> man, great! I'm stoked. All right, hey, well, consult, consult, yeah. consult, consult. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so how are all this consulting surface is going to work right. out for exactly. you? Exactly. I'm stoked, stoked to be the uh, the, the um, secretary. Secretary, yeah. Right. right. Phone call people. Um, so I had uh, I had a similar sort of experience as Caitlin when I was looking to decide what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to go back, uh, actually, home to Arizona. So I looked at different kinds of jobs that were there. And ultimately, I thought about what I really wanted and what my goals for my job and, and within medicine are going to be. And I think about the shifts that I have where I work with medical students and residents, and I'm just so fulfilled. Um, I really enjoy the discussions, and taking care of patients is great. And I, I really enjoy being in resuscitations, and I, I enjoy, I mean, of course, I enjoy helping people, but I think I'm really excited to be able to continue to share the knowledge. And selfishly for my for me, I'm excited to continue to learn and to continue to be forced to follow up and stay co- like current with journals and continue to be listening to the podcasts and reading so I'm not overtaken by my, by my residents with my knowledge. The other benefit that I have with my specific job is um, I got pulled on to do a lot of wilderness and environmental medicine, and that's, that's the thing that gets me up in the morning. So I was able to find a job that's going to allow me to really focus on that but also bring that to residents medical students and everyone else i think one of the coolest things about the three of you is watching all three of you through the process there was a lot of debate and kind of turmoil as to what direction you're going to go caitlin you were making a decision community versus academics and, and geographically where jacob you were kind of all over the place also and jeff you had a couple different options where you were going and what you ended up was not where you thought you were going to be and then it just seemed like at the perfect time for all three of you, an opportunity opened that was too good to pass. And as soon as you found that opportunity, the, you could see the weight off of all of your shoulders just completely go away, get relaxed, and really feel confident that your next step was the right step. I think, Jacob, you were the one that found that last, but maybe most excited about that opportunity that came to you. And just a very cool thing to watch. And I think that brings hope to everyone out there looking for a job that there's a lot of turmoil at first. There's a lot of questions you have to ask yourself and decisions you have to make, but that right first job is out there. And we don't know how long that first job is going to last. I think, Jacob, you'll make it through two years of fellowship without any issues. <laughs> <laughs> 24 months, not that long. The question will be if you're the first person to change jobs or not amongst this crew. But that right first job is absolutely out there, and then where it takes you and the trajectory it sets you on uh, is yet to be seen. So I, going from here, I guess what I want to know is as you were making that decision, as you're going through the turmoil of deciding, what was the one thing, if you can narrow it down, that 
weighed on you the most or maybe was the most influential on you making the decision that you did? For me, I think it was probably pretty easy, and a lot of it comes to location and family. Um, so when looking at any type of job fellowship, um, if you have family that's tagging along or supporting you along the way, um, it's having family on board. Um, and then once my family was on board with this, this location, um, it really opened kind of the doors to just really easily pursue this opportunity. Because where you're going is not the first fellowship you were invited to. Yeah, there was uh, other opportunities much farther from home with, with no easy access to distant family. Um, and with a uh, new young and at home makes things a lot, a lot more difficult to make that decision. I think that's one of those things that is so important regardless of where people end up going is make sure you're taking into account. It's just like medical school and residency. If you have significant others or family that you need to be nearby, make sure they're part of that decision process. Yeah. Give them a chance to at least give their input on how things are going. Obviously, you don't have control over everything, but um, the best that you can. Should definitely be a factor in your decision. No doubt. Yeah. Interested, Jeff and I, you and I had this conversation just a couple days ago. I've had this conversation with a couple other people, and a realization I've recently come to as I was potentially looking at moving on to other places is, am I working primarily for my job? Am I being selfish, and is that my driving factor, or is my job something that I'm passionate about but really facilitates me to have a great life outside of work with my family in a community that I enjoy living in and watch my kids grow and have a great relationship with my wife and my friends and the rest of my family? And It's hard when you first start out. Sometimes you're so career-oriented and career-focused, and I've come to, I think, a very healthy, good realization over the last several months that... I don't need to be as career-focused and career-oriented. I have a good career, a good trajectory, and what it does is allows me to live the life I want to live outside of work, which is far more important than maybe having that perfect job, which is really the panacea and doesn't exist. I think it's pretty I, natural, though. Like All of us are have been so driven for so long, and the only thing we've known is, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And I got to gotta, like, I gotta get through medical school to go yeah. to residency. Residency, I got to do oh, awesome man. and pass boards and get the great first and along job. Along the way, we've been told that you deserve everything that you want. Yeah, like every whatever you want, you should be able to have. And I think the realization is is that as you mentioned, there is no like perfect situation. And, and sometimes so you, what you want is not what is you a want. great family life yeah. and to have a job that supports that. Yeah, yeah. I think Drew brings up a good point because if what you want is to have a good family life, it's not always just about your career and that was something that came up for me i had a lot of different opportunities and i had a lot of struggle trying to decide but the moment my spouse found a job that he was very excited about in one of the locations it made everything fall into place for me because not only do i need to go to work and feel fulfilled so that i have a good home life so does your spouse so i think that that plays into it Completely agree. We are two for two with people who are doing stuff with their families in mind. Jeff, so you're on the clock. <laughs> so I I worked backwards. When so, I, sorry, Mackenzie. What? He, he right. doesn't care. <laughs> uh, so I worked backwards. I tried to think about what I what I wanted my life to look like and how I wanted to split my time. If I wanted it to be a lot of a lot of work through the hospital or if I wanted to spend a lot of time in the department. And I realized that the things that make me happy are running around outdoors, um, spending time with my dog and my wife. And the job that I got is really going to allow me to do that. So it was identifying what I wanted to do and what some of my personal goals are and how I can get those to align with my professional goals and then finding my job that would allow me to do that. And I think that's that's how I sort of fell into the one that I'm going to be at. 
It's awesome. That's cool. It reminds me of the like uh, the leadership concept of start with why. Why are you doing this? Why are you going to this job as opposed to what job do you want? Right. How? Yeah. Figure out first why. Yeah. And I think sometimes you have to – why is an elusive question. Yeah. And it's not Andy, easy. Andy really got to it, which is the why as a resident sometimes isn't the right why. Yeah. Just because you're so goal-oriented, future-focused, I need to do this next amazing thing because like, that's what your life has been for the last – six, eight years. Yeah. And sometimes as you get to the end of that and you take the step back and you go, that's not really the why that's going to drive me forward in the future. It was the why that got me here, but now there's a new why. And finding that new why is difficult. I had a friend that had me do this exercise where you do a series of whys. So you start with a single question. You just sort of say, I, I, I want to get a job in Arizona. Well, why? Uh, because I want to be close to family. Well, why? And then just continue to go down, down that pathway and the more and more I went down that pathway, I ultimately ended up with because I want to be happy. And I think that's, that's for me how I was able to kind of get to that and then think about how I'm going to make my job work for me. If anyone's having trouble asking themselves why, I have a six-year-old that will be happy to ask you why after every single statement you make. <laughs> so I can really aid in the situation. Even when you have a definitive answer as to what the why is. But why? But why? So you guys all made very uh, difficult and complex decisions for you and your and your families and 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 your careers. I think the big worry we all have is that we fail to make the right decision. How how do you tell people right now that are trying to think of like what they want to do with their lives, how to not worry about failing or is it okay to fail? I think the beauty of our specialty is that we aren't setting up a practice and putting down permanent roots. I mean, we all know the statistics that a lot of people switch jobs early on. Mm -hmm. So I think the important thing is to make the decision for you and your family. And if you feel it's the right decision now for you, that's great. Will it be the right decision in five years? That's hard to tell. You never know what's going to happen. And there's always the opportunity to switch jobs or to switch from academics to community or do whatever you need at that time to fulfill you and make you happy. So I think it's important just to focus on now and not worry too much about what the long term is because you have a great career where you can move if you need to. I think the phrase is you're only 90 days from a better solution because that's how long it takes to get credentialed or to get a license. I don't know, man. Hey, maybe longer. Oh, 90 days. <laughs> I think the benefit of our job like Caitlin brought up is, is that it's easily changed. There is typically another job that will fit your your needs somewhere either close geographically or just move. Um, and that's, I think that's the benefit of, all, of it all is that we're not stuck with a building and a group of people that we have to pay for life insurance for, we can just say, this isn't working for me and go somewhere else. I love the phrase of doing what's right for you guys now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that may last for forever and it may last one year, but just go with what feels right for right now. And most of the time you're going to be doing something good for you. Well, also rely on the people that you care about. So talk with your attendings and talk with your other co-residents and get some aspect or a snapshot about how they made their decision and talk with your other mentors and other people that are out of medicine. So talk with your family members and see if they have any other insight for specific jobs or specific locations and really using your whole, uh, your whole life consultants, your executive board of directors. Yeah. Or just board of directors. Doesn't have to be executive. Well, how do I get on your executive board of directors, Andy? I think you're. I, I'm think waiting you're, for the invite. I, know, I, I, I think, think you're I, on it. I'm on the board of directors, but I don't know if I've gotten the executive committee invite yet. 
I don't know. I, I still remember when when I was in their in their shoes, and I decided if I was going to go to uh, a hospital that will not be named in North Carolina. I think I went to dinner with the two of you and John, and that was like the executive board director meeting. So I, I think jumping to a good point is like, can I be a CTO? <laughs> What's that? Chief Technology Officer. <laughs> I thought you were going to be the Chief Tanner Officer. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's even better. I would like to be the Chief Tanner Officer. Of Only if Drew can be the CGO, the Chief Grammar Officer. Oh, wait, he already is. Yeah, oh, self-appointed. Yeah. Self-appointed, uh, unstipended, but very passionate. Very passionate. I'll stipend you. Thank you. I think, for me, the question is almost defining failure. So is it okay to fail? Absolutely. But a lot of times what we define as failure are actually opportunities to grow. So mm-hmm. going into something that you look back two years later and you say, man, well, that was a terrible decision and totally dropped the ball there is actually an opportunity to grow into that next role. So I, I think wherever you pursue, there are better opportunities perhaps, um, but you will grow through whatever that next step is that you take. That's a fantastic point. That's like how often have you had a failure and it sucked and you grew from it and got better, uh, become, became a better person because of it and looked back and go, man, that sucked getting better person, be, becoming a better person. <laughs> I learned so much from that. It was terrible. All you have to do is Google failure. Now what, or there's a series of articles recently, one fantastic one from New York times about massive failure and yes. what's next. And if you're doubting yourself at all, if you've had that moment of failure or you we're all going to fail. Yeah. If you haven't failed massively yet, it's coming, unfortunately. <laughs> I hate Get to ready. be the, the, the back poor back. one oh, listener thanks. who's like, never Buckle failed. Buckle up. Going, <gasps> no. You know, it's, it's, it's no different than the person that tells you they've never had a procedural sedation go awry. There's two types of oh, people, right? God. Those who, who have had procedural sedation go wrong and those who will have procedural sedation Who haven't go wrong. had it happen yet. Yeah. They're, they're, and or they've well, never missed an airway or anything like that. Uh, right? It's going to happen It's going to happen. Point. And the question is how you pick yourself up and move forward. And, and absolutely, hopefully that massive failure doesn't come anytime soon for you guys in, or in a professional situation. But how you respond to it is, is key. Really minor in the grand scheme of things, but just a few days ago, you and I were out riding bikes. Yeah. Probably shouldn't have been out riding our bikes. It was a little wet. Crossed some railroad uh, tracks. There's never a time to not ride bikes. That's true. And I'm glad we did it. But I went down pretty hard. And what yeah. did we do? We got right back on those bikes and kept riding. Yeah. We kept riding for another 100 feet. And then you got a flat then tire. Then I got a flat. <laughs> and then uh, we kept riding a little bit more. And then, it, and then it just kept raining a little bit more. And then, but then we ended up having an awesome well, we had, ride. We had a great ride. And had a great excellent, excellent discussion. For the record, Drew went down pretty hard results in a slight abrasion to his elbow. That I thought was chocolate yesterday. The, <laughs> the emotional, the emotional like, scars run deep. He put his elbow in a donut. The emotional scars run deep. The emotional scars run deep. I have to be honest. I'm disappointed with my external signs of this fall <laughs> because internally it feels so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, crew. As you're moving forward, is there any last bit of? thought you have that you want to throw out there that burning question or concern moving forward or you, you feel pretty confident that this is the right direction and ready to hit the ground running i'm terrified i, I mean i i think i i have confidence in my decision about the job that i'm going to do and i've had a lot of really awesome positive interactions with new residents and um people that are going to be in my group so i'm i'm very excited and i'm very encouraged and i'm looking forward to it but it's a change Right, uh, it's going to be a a huge change from from what we're doing right now, and it's going to be kind of like starting over. We know the medicine, but we don't know sort of the next steps, and there's really no way to prepare ourselves. So, while I'm ready to go, I don't know if I'll ever be 
all the way ready until I just get to my first shift and log in and go, all right, let's see some patients. Andy, were you nervous for your first shift? Um, I still remember the first consultant I called <laughs> as an attendee. And I was like, hey, hey, buddy. Hey, hi. How are you? Um, yeah. Um, hey. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, no. Kinda. So I got this patient in. Uh, what room are they in? Uh, let me make my piece of paper. Um, they're, in, they're in 21. Uh, like what's their intern again? Drew. And you heard him in the background and they were just like, take it easy, buddy. Take it easy. Was like, Drew, were you nervous for your first Oh, time? and the most terrifying thing I think I've ever done as a physician is discharge my first patient home. As an attending. So admitting, you you know, I'm sure I was a bumbling idiot on the phone just like Andy, but you know that there's another physician that's going to put their eyes on that patient. So if you royally mucked it up, there is somebody to fix it for you. But that patient you send home. Especially the borderline patient. You are releasing into the world (laughs) to do whatever it is they're going to do next. There are 9,000 prescriptions for any possible outcome. (laughs) Please take them. Follow up tomorrow. I have never provided better follow-up discharge instructions for a patient ever than the first person they discharged. If you feel odd walking to your car, I want you to turn around, (laughs) come back, (laughs) check right back on in. We'll just get you admitted. We'll do the the other pod. (laughs) I mean, I don't think there's a person who's ever graduated residency who hasn't felt nervous about their first job, but it, it's 100% true. And I, I think that's that's a very valuable feeling to have, and it's a very valuable feeling to communicate. I, for me, my biggest worry was that first code or the first really sick patient because you got really comfortable with like the people around you and how they operated and you know what happened and what was automatically going to just click. If you walk into a new place and you're like, I don't know any of these people and this person is dying. How do I fix this? But you know what? You figure it out. Yeah. I was called Andy no less than eight times. <laughs> While you were standing on your stool. In the first code that I ran <laughs> as an attending at our institution an hour and a half into my first shift as faculty. I wasn't even at the, I wasn't even at the hospital that day. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Your legend precedes yourself. Yeah, no, just no. getting channeled. Just getting channeled. I think new, new people, new places, new things, new challenges. Um, exciting, nerve wracking. Going to be difficult. You know, excited for the challenges along the way. May not be the best statement, but knowing that they're coming, knowing that there's going to be new opportunities, seeing new things, meeting new people, um, and working through these challenges are very nerve wracking for sure. Um, so just looking forward to that and. See how it goes. All right. Well, Jacob, Jeff, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to hear these voices a little more on Emover Easy, there's some episodes to go back and listen to. Caitlin was just on a recent episode, Married to Medicine, where you can get a little more insight into what it's like making some of these decisions when you're married to somebody else who is in medicine, particularly emergency medicine. Jeff did an incredible episode on visualization with us about a year and a half ago. Jacob was definitely one of the people that stumped the chumps on Trivia and Toast. And that's still so, one of my favorite ones. Probably one of the coolest episodes we've ever done. You all three are going to do awesome, are an inspiration, I think, to us, undoubtedly, and will be an inspiration to many more to come. I have no doubt that if any of our listeners want to reach out to these three, if they just get a hold of us at Email Over Easy, we will send you right their way. They are all super personable and love paying it forward and helping other people out. So please reach out to us. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on all our social media sites, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, when we occasionally make it there. Be sure to check out our blog site at emovereasy.com and look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you so much.